Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Reminder time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. You want to be where the action is? Then show up to Maria's in Bridgeport on Tuesday, November 7th at 7 p.m to see first Tuesdays with Maya and Ben. Yes, I'm the Ben. Maya's Maya Dukmasova. We'll be talking uh, Asian American politics. Alderwoman Nicole Lee, Alderwoman Lenny Monahoppenworth will be there. Uh, there's a rumor that Mick Dumkey might show up, but he is not going to be signing autographs uh, if he is there. Uh, and uh, <laughs> But he will pose for photographs if he is there. Alderwoman Nicole Lee, Alderwoman Lenny Mana Hoppenworth, Maria's, 960 West 31st Street, Tuesday, November 7th, 7 p.m. I don't want to hear any excuses, North Slaters. It's so far. I'm a North Slater. Come on. You can go to Bridgeport. It won't kill you. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, October 26th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back editor and reporter with Block Club Chicago and Ben Jarofsky's BFF, Mick Dumkey. The Ben Jarofsky Show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what Ben Jarofsky had for breakfast, okay, maybe not that last one, but everything else I said, just go to ChicagoReader.com. You can find out all that and much more. And if you do want to find out what Ben Jarofsky had for breakfast, check out chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this opening night Thursday, and here's why. I'm going to take, take a brief break from politics to tell you, to remind you that last night, yes, was opening night for my beloved Chicago Bulls. I'm out wearing a Bulls hat. I don't know why I'm still loyal to this team. Uh, it has been, as I just said to my dear friend, McDumkey, who's standing by, 23 years, has it been? 25 years of utter misery as a Bulls fan. Every now and then there's like a glimmer of hope and then the, someone gets injured and that's the end of that hope. And so then it's another rebuild and 25 years. Nonetheless, as I put in my newsletter the other day, I put together a group of Chicagoans to buy into a season package. <laughs> we are season ticket holders. We have invested our hard-earned money in the Chicago Bulls. And how did they repay us for that investment? With one of the worst performances I've ever seen in an opening night game. They were, they were just awful from start to finish uh, on uh, last night's game. And the Bulls are very proud of the fact that this year was going to be a new Bulls team. They're going to take more three-point shots, okay? That's the shot, sports, non-sports fans, from so far out, they give you an extra point for making it. The three-point play has been in existence since the time Mick Dumkey was in grammar school. It's been around a long time. But apparently, it wasn't until 2023 that the Chicago Bulls figured out, you know what? You get an extra point. <laughs> you get an extra point if you shoot the ball from way outside. So this year they dedicated themselves to shooting from way outside. They kind of reminded me of Chicagoans who haven't quite understood how tips add to the property tax bill. You, you, you can tell them uh, over and over and over again, and they still don't quite get it. So in their own way, Chicagoans are as clueless as the people who run the Bulls. I knew I'd go political on you, McDumkin. I knew I'd raise tiffs. And so last night they threw up all these threes and guess what? They pretty much missed most of them. Some of the worst three point shooting I've ever seen in my entire life, including a shot. I kid you not by Tory Craig from the corner. He was so wide open. He could like adjust his tie and he hit the side of the basket. <laughs> That's like, and it went clang. clang, 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 clang. It was like the basket. It was like a shot. I would take at the YMCA. It was pathetic. 
And as soon as the game was over, the text started pouring in. As one of Chicago's most visible Bulls fans, oh, man, did I get ripped left and right. Hey, Ben, what about that investment? I'm not going to read the text because they're filled with so many F-bombs. Trying to be a family show here. Uh, and then the text kept coming this morning uh, because the news story broke that the Bulls were so bad in their opening game that they already had a team meeting to discuss how bad they are. Usually team meetings, McDumkey knows this as a sports fan, don't occur to like a month or two into a season when the team goes, we got to get together and figure this out. This was one day and they had a team meeting already, uh, at which point I got a text uh, from uh, a source I will not identify other than to say his first name is Moise and his last name is Bowani. Uh, and uh, so he is uh, once upon a time a, was a Bulls fan, and now he's Chicago's biggest Phoenix Suns fan. This, uh, of course, <laughs> Nick's shaking his head. This is a whole element of Chicagoans. Like, they are such front runners, the people in the city of Chicago. It's not one of your, uh, what, greater attributes, Chicago. I'm just telling you, things get a little dicey. Boom. You're, oh, I'm a Phoenix Suns fan. Boom. I'm a Lakers fan. Boom. Oh, did I tell you? I just absolutely love Steph Curry. Louise Buani sent me this text this morning. The Bulls should be rebuild and draft. It's time to find our Shea Alexander. Trade Damar and Zach. Trade everyone. Fire Billy Donovan. Fire the general manager and sell the team. <laughs> Chicago, man. Chicago is just predicting gloom and doom. And that leaves the big question. Do I regret having sacrificed my hard-earned money to buy a portion of that? Bulls season ticket plan. That is a question I will entertain with the great McDumkey after, after we eat our vegetables and discuss politics. No cake, McDumkey. No sports talk until we eat our vegetables. Is that a deal? Okay. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. I do like vegetables. And uh, you and I both love politics. So that's not so hard. It's not so hard. Uh, Mick Dumkey, of course, uh, investigative reporter for Block Club. Before that, uh, many, years before that, was my partner in crime uh, at the Chicago Reader. Dear friend, love talking politics with this man. Uh, so before we get to the Bulls, which is dessert. Uh, and by the way, I just wanted to let people know that Mick Dumkey also bought into that season ticket plan. Yeah, it was, people don't know about his uh, investment. And, they all know about mine. Ben, Ben's got some swamp land he can sell me, too, after this, okay? All right, we'll get to it. We'll get to Wait, it, like you said. Mick, I got some CHA land that I might want to sell to you. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. Uh, but let's start with um, a great story. Uh, that Mick uh, wrote, uh, and you had a partner in crime, Quinn Myers, uh, in Block Club. Uh, and I already talked about this at length last week. I had a lot of fun with uh, Brandon Johnson's uh, ducking and dodging. Really not ducking and dodging. Is uh, It's more like a Tony Preckwinkle non-answer of the question asked. Uh, but uh, anyway, in response to the question uh, that... Uh, Mick and Quinn were addressing in this article, uh, and that is who got what in terms of a pay raise, aldermanic pay raises. Uh, and the part of the story, there's much, uh, there's much to delve into uh, in this story, Mick, but I think, as I told you before we went on the air, the part of the story that I kind of just enjoy in a twisted, weird way, like only in Chicago way, even though it probably happens in other cities, uh, is what the city put you through before they turned over information, in this case, automatic uh, salaries that should have been readily available already and easy to find uh, on uh, the city's website or the city clerk's website or somewhere on that vast ocean of an internet. Uh, and uh, so before we get into what you find, you found, why don't you just tell us about the process of a how difficult and challenging it was to obtain what should have been already out there for us to see. Well, first of all, I agree with your argument. This uh, should be readily available for people. This should not be an investigative project. Um, I went to Block Club, as we've discussed many times on your show, Ben, um, to help start an investigative team. 
um, because of my ongoing interest in City Hall and uh, what the City Council does, what the mayor's up to, I often team up with colleagues like Quinn, uh, who is really a great reporter uh, for Block Club Chicago. Um, we often team up to do, you know, some newsier kinds of stuff going on at City Hall too. Um, so this was supposed to be one of those kinds of stories. Uh, every year, Block Club, other publications, including the Trib, sometimes often does some version of this, does a story, you know, like here's what your elected officials are making in city government, the mayor, the city clerk, the city treasurer, and then all 50 members of the city council. And uh, this is, frankly, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a story that uh, people really want. It's information people really want. They want to know where their tax dollars are going. They want to, you know, as a way to hold their leaders accountable, they want to know what they're making. Just standard stuff. Um, and it's never been a problem before to get the information. Um, after the budget is in place, the city posts a list of all of its employees and their salaries online. You can go and find this right now. But for us to get information about what all their people were going to make starting January 1st, it ended up being essentially like a, a runaround investigative process. I had to send in, I think the final count was four Freedom of Information Act requests. And Quinn and I each wrote multiple emails asking for information, calls, um, like just give us the information. What's the deal? This isn't a secret, uh, it shouldn't be a secret. But it was inordinately hard then. So just very briefly, uh, right now, the salaries of city council members are, um, most people will be surprised to learn that your alder person's salary is not based on how many years he or she has been in office. They all on paper um, are eligible for the same salary, but some make a little less than the maximum amount because they've been in a number of years and they declined a pay raise at some point in the past. So there is some variation among the 50 alder people. Uh, they don't all make the exact same amount, but it's not based on your seniority, which a lot of people find surprising. Currently right now, the uh, salaries, salary increases for members of the city council, the mayor, city clerk and city treasurer are all, they all get automatic pay bumps based on inflation. They, ought to, they get an automatic cost of living raise every year and that's because of an ordinance that was passed a few years ago. So there's a built-in pay raise uh, based on inflation. So that's important information because again, if we know if it's posted online, what older people are making right now, and there's an automatic pay raise, then what's the big deal about telling us what everyone's set to make next year? I mean, yes, we could do the math. I did the math. We had an internal debate about whether to publish like their projected raises. But we said, you know, we, we're going to be super careful and precise. We're going to wait for the actual information from the budget office, from the city of Chicago, before we publish anybody's name and salary. We didn't want to make a mistake. And that cost us weeks, weeks to get the information then. So in order to decline the pay raise, you automatically get the pay raise unless you send in a signed statement to the city budget office. So when they declined to give us the list of salaries that everyone would make in 2024, the first thing I did was a FOIA request asking for uh, any signed statements that the mayor, the clerk, the treasurer, or alder people sent into the budget office. And to their credit, they did respond to that FOIA in a fairly timely manner. And we got copies of two signed statements from alder people, uh, Byron Sigcho Lopez, and um, from, uh, who's the other person? Why can't I, why am I drawing? Rosanna. Rosanna, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. Um, and 
Uh, we reached Byron. He explained during these times with inflation running amok, a lot of people are having a hard time making ends meet. I didn't think it was appropriate for to take the raise myself. And that's why he turned it down. Rosanna never responded to us, but they were the only two people who submitted that paperwork. And we wrote that story. And then I kept sending in FOIAs. Give us the list. Tell us, have any more people sent in signed statements after the supposed deadline? They asked for extensions. And in one moment that you just have to laugh at, the budget office of the city of Chicago sent me a note back that said they needed extra time to provide me the salary information because the records were stored fully or wholly, like wholly or in part in another location. And I'm thinking, what other location? You're the budget <laughs> office. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> These hilarious. are electronic documents. They're, they're not boxes <laughs> in a crate somewhere in a warehouse on the other side of the city. Yeah. Um, they were just stalling, obviously. And that was the first thing they checked. Um, so, Ben, it took a much longer than it should. Eventually, we're about to, uh, you know, maybe write another story about how they were obfuscating and, and stalling some more. And then Quinn said, you know, I'm going to try one more time just to nudge them and say, will you just give us the list? And, and to our shock, they did. After all that, after weeks of FOIAs and back and forth, out of nowhere, um, someone in the budget office said, okay, here you go, and sent it along. So I have a quick question for you right here to interrupt this narrative, which is delightful. Uh, and we're, I'm, we're going to get- It's actually not that interesting, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking everyone through every painful step to tell I, you how convoluted and crazy this is. Okay, okay. so uh, I, I began the show with a confession that I remain a Bulls fan. Uh, even though it's been 25 years of utter misery and failure and dysfunction. Um, and sort of in the same, uh, in the same way, I remain a fan of FOIA stories. Uh, and I, it, it's like this bizarre affinity I have uh, for the trials and tribulations of reporters i long ago gave up mick knows this i go it's just a game it's just a labyrinth it's a way of it's a way of de depriving you of access to information you should already receive i am not going to play this game anymore uh but if you take that point of view you will never get any essential information you, there's just so you have to play this game ladies and gentlemen you have to file these information requests that are written in kind of bizarre legalese and if you don't get it precisely right and mcdump is really good at this game and how to phrase it danny Mialopoulos, shout out to you he's also really good at it there's a few reporters who like have gotten really good at it if you don't present the information exactly they'll deny you the information on the grounds that like what you asked for isn't really what you thought you were asking for uh, there's a million reasons that they'll use to deny the information, but I have always been delighted and intrigued by the lengths to which bureaucrats in city hall will just throw one blockade in, in front of another to deter a reporter or a citizen. Sometimes it's, uh, just ordinary citizens from getting this essential information. So, uh, I actually think the, the effort to get the info is more interesting in this case, than the aldermanic salaries. I completely agree. I completely yeah, agree. You know what I mean? mean? <laughs> For sure. Because the yeah. they're all like, I think the, the most you can make as an alderman is 147000 I That's my memory from the story. And so people, it very, it's like if you never turned out a raise, isn't that it? Or like a, around it's a, it's, a, it's going to be about 146. Yeah, yeah come January 1. Right. That's the top me, salary. By the way, you got to give me credit for pulling that out of the back of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have notes here. Like, I'm just like, I've read so many McDumpkey stories about this. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, going back uh, to the recitation, when you say they gave us a list, who is the they in that sentence? Like, who is literally the person or persons that you're exchanging this information, uh, your requests and uh, with, and who then ultimately gives you what you want or denies you what you want. It was a, um, a staff person in the office of budget and management. And uh, just to be candid with you, I'd have to look up the person's name. Um, 
but because uh, I had dealt with another, per, a different person in the Office of Budget and Management when I was submitting my FOIAs. Uh, so for people who don't understand how this all works, uh, in, in the old days, every city department had a public information officer and, um, or, you know, as we call them sometimes flacks. And uh, you could go to the public information officer to ask a whole range of questions. And, you know, back then, if you remember when you and I first started working together, you could still call a PIO for a department and, and ask some questions and get some answers. Sometimes, lots of times, they would be airbrushed for various political purposes. You know, you'd get a, a canned statement instead of something that came from a human being. Uh, but at least there was a person available you could call or email and, um, and ask questions to directly. It started to happen where um, you would get people on the phone or exchange an email and they would say, sure, I'll give you the information, but can you please send a FOIA for that? Because they started to want to track the information that they were handing out. I suspect it was a way to cover themselves from potential pushback within the highly politicized environments at City Hall they worked under. Um, but it was also a way that they could, uh, you know, track what other people were asking for. And you remember um, at one point in time under uh, Mayor Daley, Richard M. Daley, uh, he announced a big transparency plan where he was going to start publishing online everyone's FOIA requests. Yeah. So instead of making a transparency push where he provided more information about the workings of city government to the public, the information he wanted to provide was basically to uh, reveal what reporters were working on and what they were asking for. I didn't have a problem with it, but of course it was a total joke that that was transparency. Um, so over time, this has evolved and in the current situation, uh, there is a lot of understaffing going on at City Hall, Ben. So not only are there a number of departments, including key departments that do not have permanent leaders, they do not have commissioners, there are also a number of departments that don't have full-time public information officers. You literally don't know who to call to get information about the workings of city government if you're a reporter. And so you end up spending sometimes um, a long time. I Early this week, one day on Tuesday, I spent the entire afternoon on the phone just trying to find who can answer questions for a particular city department because there's no one posted and they don't have a full-time person. You end up having to um, submit FOIA requests, even for stuff that should be basic information. It should be posted online, or at the very least, it should be available to anyone who asks for it. Instead, you have to go through all sorts of FOIA requests. And then through both inefficiency and a lack of interest in sharing information, oftentimes it takes days or even weeks before you get a response to the FOIA request which is often, we don't have the information. And, you know, okay, I can't make you provide something you don't have, but they don't tell you where you can get it. There's no phone call, of course. Um, there's contact information that required by law to offer contact information if we wanna follow up. I followed up with a FOIA officer who denied a request this week, crickets, nothing. Um, it's just really, really hard to get information right now. So in some ways, this list of what your alderman makes, alder person makes, um, you're right, simple story, but the story behind the story is far more telling of the state of city government right now. You're totally uh, right. All right, so uh, we'll take a deep dive into that, but I'm gonna go back to something else that you said, which I, I, I don't think it should just be brushed aside. Uh, because I, it, it may be my, uh, it may have eclipsed my favorite FOIA moment. My favorite FOIA moment uh, was in a community activist, Joanna Brown, uh, 
foyer and something about a, a, a meeting. I forget the specificity of it. This was years ago. I wrote about this so many times. And I think it was the, the enlightened administration of Mayor Rahm uh, for this particular moment sent back a blank piece of paper. <laughs> I love yeah. that, man. Just saying it, I start laughing. A blank piece of paper. That's what they sent her, okay? But for the budget department, just ladies and gentlemen, just think about this. This is the age of computers. I don't know any millennial uh, who reads a newspaper the way I do. I'm showing Nick the actual newspaper with the <laughs> opening blight. I don't know any millennial. I know what not- it looks like, Ben, because we get it too. You and I are two <laughs> of the sub- yeah. subscribers left of the North Side of Chicago. Yeah, Go there's ahead. two. Yeah. There's two of us, me and Mick. I think Ken Davis as well. That makes three. So we're everybody's on the phone. All you millennials at City Hall. And the ones who work for the budget department, you know, you know, there's no such thing as records in old archives anymore. It's on your freaking computer. You can look it up right there and then. For all I know, they were looking it up while they wrote that response. So, Mick, when the they, whoever it is, let's say it's Billy Bob, let's come up with a name, because it's just some bureaucrat in the halls of City Hall, that... I presume it's not a person who makes policy. Although I also presume that the person who makes policy told Billy Bob to just stall McDumpkey. He's a pain in the neck. God, is he annoying. Uh, And so they came up with, it's in a different location. So what's your read? Like that is so blatantly untrue. There are no- it, it It was completely false. Yeah. Well, there are a number of, um, under the FOIA, under the state law, there are a number of reasons a public body can ask for an extension, can ask for extra time. They're supposed to respond to a FOIA request within five business days, essentially a week. And uh, But if they need extra time, they can cite one of several reasons that says, look, we need extra time for this purpose. I think they just checked one of the boxes. I don't think it mattered to them. I just, I mean, because it didn't make any sense. And like I said, I, I was both, I was both highly annoyed and highly amused that that was the one they checked because to say that it was stored at another location, we all knew was, was false. This also was, um, I got a response to that FOIA while budget hearings were going on. So a budget proposal had already been submitted to the entire city council and released to the public that had a list of salaries for alder people. It did not have the names of the alder people in the budget document, but it had all of the amounts listed in the itemized budget. So they obviously know what those numbers are. I mean, I'm stating this, we know they know, but I'm just going through the thought process here. Like there is documentation of what each of the salaries will be. So they knew who was going to get what. They knew it. They had it in hand. There's no way that it was at another site, but that's the box they checked when wow. they when they shipped off the email to me. That's how little they disregarded, A, your intelligence, or B, your uh, request. It's like, we're going to send him a reason for denying his request that is so blatantly not true. It's, it's, it's just our totally way. ridiculous. It's and and let, let me add something. FOIA officers are people too, okay? The people handling FOIA requests, I get it. It's a thankless job most of the time. Um, In some instances, it requires a lot of work to round up records from other people in their department. I really appreciate the work, the hard work, um, the important work for the public that people who deal with FOIA requests at the city, at the state, the federal government, I... I am grateful for them and all their work. So I would not in the least have been bothered if the person handling this request had called me or written me a note that said, hey, Mick, I'm just barraged. It's budget season. I'll get this to you. I need a couple extra days. I would have said, what's the deal? This seems pretty obvious, but okay. I would have, that's fine. Just like be, be a normal person. Just tell me what's going on. You got stuff to do. You're working on it. I'm, you know, the 10th person in the queue, whatever the reason, we'll roll with it. That's totally understandable. 
but yeah, just to check some box that is false <laughs> and sending it off, it's actually a violation of the law if you really yeah. want to get down to it. And you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna make a big legal issue out of it, but it just is. Um, you're right; it's a small indication of the fact that the system is uh, is under duress, and, and in a lot of cases, I just don't think it's a priority at all for the political leadership. Well, I, including uh, this progressive political leadership. We'll get into Hall. that. I, yeah. uh, I tend to be less uh, benevolent uh, on this issue than Mick, who has always been uh, fairer than I have when it comes to uh, dealing with uh, city hall. In fact, I just got to go back and push back a little bit. When Mick, you alluded to when we first met, there was a time when you can call city hall and talk to a flack. They would get back to you, return your call. Uh, as you know, I was on some kind of unofficial do not return call list through most of the daily, <laughs> except for, <laughs> oh my God, I'm not going to name her. But there was one lady who liked to call me back just to harass me. <laughs> and I kind of appreciated it. Anyway, I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, she would just uh, call me up, yeah. trash talk me. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I, really I, I actually loved that. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, you know, give it to us back. At least there's an acknowledgement you got it. And, and, you know, there was a certain level of candor with that person too, that like, we're not going to give you what you're asking. Yeah. For, you're not you know, it. and it's like, okay, we know where we stand, you know, we'll, we'll write what we got to write then. You yeah. Know? Right. Yeah, yeah. You know who I'm talking about. She was pretty funny. Uh, and, uh, well, she later uh, went to another agency, um, and, uh, just retired a couple years ago. So, I worked with her for a long time then, yeah. including up until about, uh, about two years ago. So, yeah. and I can yeah. say given um, that person's uh, replacement um, at her last stop, I, I miss her. So we'll leave it at wow. that. Okay. We'll leave it at that. that being a little bit oblique, we sorry, we just had like a three minute conversation that only Mick Dumpkin and I understood, I know, but we understood it. We understood uh, it. All right. Yeah. So, um, uh, so going back to, see, I, I struggle with this because way back when, when, uh, I think it was your first tip story. Uh, I love telling this story. I want, I asked the city, uh, mayor Daly was in charge then, uh, to give me a ward by ward breakdown of TIF expenditures. And the response from the city was no such document exists which of course I knew was a blatant lie, as big a lie as saying uh, the budget information you want is at another location. It's at a warehouse on the Southwest side and we don't have trucks going back there today to pick it up. Um, so I knew that was uh, totally false, but there was really nothing I could do about it. And uh, shout out Bob Fioretti. I'm gonna always give him a shout out, no matter how far to the right he's gone with his uh, dalliances with MAGA, uh, he said, oh, you want to see that? And he turned over to me the copy that of his second award. Remember this, Mick? Of and I course. rushed back to Mick. I go, Mick, do that FOIA stuff you do because this thing exists. So I Mick, think he had a list of all the – he had a list of all 50. He had the totals for all 50 wards, if I, I recall. I thought it was the second award. I think it was for all 50 because we wrote um, – I believe we wrote our first story on – the citywide totals based on documents that Bob shared with us. Okay. So these are two uh, geezers reminiscing. I'm actually the geezer. He's a young man, but I think what happened younger, was younger, younger. Yeah. Remember they denied us the request at first and they, we asked for it yeah. and then they denied it. And then I think even the tribune weighed in with an editorial. I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> come on i believe you i believe that happened because um that is something you would remember yeah. um, very clearly so, so the anyway, trip writing an editorial about this yeah. Yeah. uh i almost passed out uh an economic uh development tool <laughs> but we're not going to name because you know we want to keep you in the clueless in chicago that's where you like to be um so anyway all right uh, so in that case, I think the city uh, was intentionally trying to keep information uh, from being shared because they didn't want uh, the public to know the huge disparity uh, in, um, in how TIP money is allocated so that some wards were the winners and other wards were, quote unquote, the losers uh, in the only significant economic development game the city had. In this particular case, uh, 
I have my theories, and I'd love to hear yours. I believe they were intentionally keeping you from this information. So I don't believe it was dysfunction. Uh, so either it's an intentional maneuver on the part of an administrator to deny a reporter access to information that they w would prefer to keep secret, or they're utterly dysfunctional. They don't have enough people on, on deck to deal with all the requests. Uh, with one or the other, or maybe a marriage of both, I don't mixture of both, I don't know, but when they tell you that it's at another location, to me, that strongly suggests that they're intentionally trying to keep you from this information, your theory and thoughts. Yeah, they definitely were. I think uh, Quinn was told point blank when he first asked for the information that they did not intend to release it until their full budget proposal was released. So they definitely had a policy of trying to keep it under wraps. Again, for reasons I don't understand, uh, this ordinance has been passed already. It's on the books. The, the salary increases are built in. Like, what are you trying to keep from us for an extra two or three weeks at that point in time? It's just, honestly, it's just silly. But that's what their position was. So the FOIA that I'm referencing that I got that response to came after they had released the budget proposal. So they told us they weren't going to release it until the full budget was out. But then after the full budget was out, that's when I sent in a new round of FOIAs. And I still got that lame excuse that it's stored at another location. So I agree with you that their policy was, for whatever reason, they just did not want to release that. Um, I think they were hoping to hold on to it until the budget was actually passed. But Again, it's ridiculous because the law is on the books. And two, why shouldn't we know what each other person is making before they vote on the budget? I mean, that's the whole point is that you should have the information about the budget <laughs> before it actually gets voted into law. I mean, come on. That's, that's the whole point of a budget proposal. So people can see it and discuss it publicly. You're right, uh, Ben. They wanted to keep it. They wanted to keep it under wraps. Yeah. All right. All right. So we figured that part out. Uh, so folks, you're getting a sense of what the collaborative process is between Mick Dumpke and myself when we write a story. So uh, he comes up with, he's the fair guy playing uh, devil's advocate. And then I come in with my theory and then we decide which one we're going with. Uh, and that'll be the voice of the story. Uh, and now let me get back to the issue of progressive mayor. And I'm going to state something. And as you're free to vehemently disagree with me, I don't believe there is a politician in captivity, uh, to paraphrase the great Harold Washington, uh, who is truly open to the notion of open government. And uh, progressive, uh, in the case of the Brandon Johnson movement, the movement that swept Brandon Johnson in office, does not mean sharing budget information with reporters. It may mean more equitable taxation, it may mean opening up uh, mental health clinics. It may mean taking care of uh, Venezuelan migrants, although it doesn't seem to mean that at the time. Uh, but it most definitely does not mean helping Mick Dumkey get access to information uh, that he wants to share with the public. And in that regards, there's not that much difference between a progressive mayor like Brandon Johnson, uh, a centrist mayor like Lori Lightfoot, a neoliberal mayor like Rahm Emanuel, and an old machine guy like Richard M. Daly. They all want to hold on to what they got, and they don't want the McDumpkeys or the Danny Meolopolises of the world to get access to it because information is power, and that's what they have the power. And if they start sharing that power with Mick Dumpke, then he has power. And so they don't want you to have power, Mick. They'd rather you just just keep you, annoy you for like weeks in the hope that you go away. That is my theory. The floor is your to respond. I don't have any argument with what you said. I think you're absolutely right. So progressive may mean apply to tax policy or um, your social wealth, your look at the social welfare system and wanting to invest in the safety net. 
but you're absolutely right. It doesn't involve um, openness, transparency, and it doesn't involve what, uh, I don't like the term, but what people often talk about when they say good government. It doesn't involve like the workings of government. It doesn't involve improving the workings of government. So, uh, you know, Brandon Johnson came in and seized control of the city council's committee system, just the way that every other mayor before him had done going back to uh, like, I don't know, pre-Anton Cermak or something, the early 20th century. Um, and uh, yeah, nobody wants to give up power. You're right. Whether it's to a journalist or to another, to the city council, they don't want to do it. Yeah. So that's the game that's being played, ladies and gentlemen. Don't kid yourself. And so many of my uh, dear friends, my dear lefty friends will, will tell me, they'll say, uh, yeah, I have, I won't see the information I want. Like right now, we have absolutely no idea uh, which TIF funds. Only I am the only guy in the city who cares about this. I know uh, the city is raiding uh, to uh, pay its budget obligations. Okay, we, we they haven't released that information yet. Uh, and so I, I when I have conversations with my lefty friends who love Brandon Johnson and know him well, they go, Ben, call so and so, like Billy Bob. You know, like they have another friend in the administration. They're wonderful. They talk to me all the time. I'm like. I, do you not understand <laughs> you talking to Billy Bob because you play softball together is one thing. I'm an inquiring reporter. Billy Bob's not talking to me, you know, and then if Billy Bob does talk to me, it'd be like, I can't really tell you anything at the moment. And that's like <laughs> triple off the record. So like, what's the even point of it? You know what I'm saying? Like, so uh, I just think there's just like a, element of ignorance on the part of Chicagoans and indifference. I really make push come to shove. I don't think most Chicagoans care about whether uh, their government is transparent. I don't think most Chicagoans care that their government is uh, hiding and concealing information from reporters like McDunky or Danny Mialopoulos or Tommy Schub or any of them. I really believe most Chicagoans just aren't paying attention. Am I too jaded? Am I too cynical by my years of living in this town? Go. Well, I think if more people demanded that as a priority, then there would be a response and uh, the government would change. So in that sense, you're right. Most people, it's not a top priority. I mean, if given the choice, would would people rather have more information available to them about how their tax money is being spent or less information available to them, I think they would probably vote for having more information available to them. But is it going to be a priority? Are they going to be out in the street, you know, picketing with signs? Are they going to be swearing, assaulting the alder person? Uh, no, that they're doing that about encampments. They're not doing that about open government and transparency. Okay. So um, you're, you're totally right about it being something that people have to think about. I will say this though, you know, a, a lot of people submit freedom of information requests besides reporters. I've gone like to total nerd land on this a few <laughs> times and dug into like who turns to the state attorney general for help when their FOIA requests are denied. In a lot of the cases that the, that the state attorney general has to deal with involve, um, non-journalists they involve citizens trying to get information like about their tax bills or something about their library system and they just can't get information they're blocked by their like village board or their library commission and they get really pissed off about it and they they go on these like FOIA wars with yep. these local agencies and so you know people don't think about it until they need the information and then when they realize how hard it is to get the information in a lot of a lot of cases about their own money, the use of their own tax money, then they become advocates for openness and transparency. But that's a small that's that's again ag agreed. It's lower on the list than some of the other very pressing concerns we have. Absolutely, uh, and uh, uh, that was a good riff. I, I'm with you on that one. I've known a lot a few years. I've written about them too. Well, Joanna Brown, uh, aforementioned, the greatest TIF non-responsive, the greatest TIF 
response, non-response of all time, the blank piece of paper, which I actually think has been eclipsed by the, uh, it's at a different location in the age of the internet, is now number one on the list of the greatest non-response responses to a TIF request I've ever heard. Congratulations, Johnson administration. You have surpassed Mayor, no, it was Mayor Rahm. You've surpassed Mayor Rahm in a non-response response. It's at a different location, but the trucks, good news, in a month, we'll be going out to that warehouse in Franklin Park. Yeah, the, the other one, I mean, that's up there with the, what's in between those two is when I've gotten, um, CPS has done this to me a couple times where they have provided me records I ask for, like emails I ask for. And it'll be like a three page email chain and all, but like a couple lines are blacked out. Yeah. Like oh it's, it's God. like three pages of just blacked out copies. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, yes, we're providing you the records, but it's like, there's nothing. It's like completely unreadable. Oh my course. God. Yeah. yeah. No, those, those you just have to yeah. laugh at. So. I, I, I actually, I may have to uh, put on the list uh, the, their response along those lines to Persepolis when uh, under uh, Mayor Rahm, uh, they decided to ban Persepolis, which is one of the most popular youth fiction uh, graphic novels in the world. Uh, some parent had complained. Uh, and uh, so someone, it was an ordinary citizen. Shout out, ordinary citizen. There was not an inquiring reporter uh, wrote in and to get the info and everything was like blacked out. And then this guy figured out how to take the uh, the blackout off so he could see what was underneath. Just like they, I forget it, but they did it in that play mix so he could yeah. remove it. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and then he, of course, called me up and goes, here's that, here's, you know, I had a field day with that one. No, I remember that. I, I believe I edited that column when you wrote it. So, um, that was a, it was an incredible case. Uh, yeah. kudos to the activists who got the information and then your column about it was great. And it's just like, yeah, it was one of those you'd laugh because it's just so absurd. It's you know? so absurd. And it was about, uh, it was about a graphic novel about, the Iranian government, you know, like how could you, the, the Iranian government like restricting people's rights and what happens, yeah. you know, after the the takeover um, by the Islamists in Iran in the seventies? I mean, an incredible book. But there's some irony involved in the fact that that was the book that they were hiding information about. Oh yeah, and right? pulling from bookshelves at libraries. For bookshelves, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean that was Ray Ram. That was uh, not a not a MAGA person, ladies and gentlemen. That was Mayor Rahm's admission. Or I'm sorry, Ambassador Rahm. Uh, he was uh, very busy, but he found time to give an interview with Fran Spielman. Uh, by the way, Ambassador Rahm, uh, that's nice that you gave the interview with Fran Spielman, but Nader Issa is still waiting for the return call on why you closed the 50 schools. All right, so maybe you can find time to talk to him about that. Nader was on the show last week. Maybe. All right, before we get to our uh, dessert, our chocolate cake of the Chicago Bulls, your latest story about the ongoing, I don't know if it's ongoing anymore. It seems like it's all over. Uh, the Chicago fire has won. <laughs> big, big surprise. Well, they've won in the courses. I don't know if yeah, they ever win. They, they haven't won that many on the actual pitch, as they say, but uh, oh. they definitely won in court uh, this, you know, this week, last if, week. Yeah. If other soccer teams were as easy to beat as uh, hapless uh community activists in Chicago, the Chicago fire would be reigning world champions. <laughs> All right, Mick, uh, just, we, we spent a whole show on this the last time we were on. I urge everybody to check it out. It's called city for sale. It's really a very enlightening, um, discourse I had with Mick on that. Why don't you give us the summation of what went down last week? Uh, in, or maybe it was earlier this week. I've lost track of time. What went down in court? Go ahead. It was a decision that, um, a federal court decision by uh, U.S. District Court Judge Thomas M. Durkin on Friday of last week that uh, essentially threw out this lawsuit challenging a land sell-off deal between the Chicago Housing Authority and the Chicago Fire soccer team. And yeah, you and I have talked about this repeatedly. I've been reporting on this for almost two years now, uh, more than a year and a half for sure. Um, I just have thought from the beginning, as you and I discussed, that this, this was a classic tale of 
Chicago power politics in addition to the very real and important issues about housing and about the use of land that was set aside for housing. So people can uh, find our previous conversation or they can read my previous stories if they wanna do the deep dive, but, but the quick version is that uh, the CHA had this 23 acre swath of land on the near west side over by UIC um, that used to be home to part of a major public housing development that was raised as part of the plan for transformation two decades ago. And the CHA never completed promises to rebuild the site with mixed income housing. So it sat vacant for 20 years, basically. Because the CHA failed to deliver on its promises to build housing there, um, and it sat vacant. Now, the current leadership of the CHA, along with and, and led by, really, former Mayor Lori Lightfoot, used that empty land as a justification for, oh, we need to do something with it now. It sat vacant for 20 years. Let's do something with it. Namely, uh, Joe Mansueto, the billionaire who owns the fire soccer team, is looking for a place to build a state-of-the-art practice facility for the fire and he wants to do it in the city i'm into all that as a sports fan as a fan of chicago then i want the fire to be here i want them to be good i want them to have a training facility but he's a billionaire why did he have to get this piece of land well the mayor offered it up to him and the team and a deal was cut for um i'm calling it a sell-off because it's a long-term lease that's for at least 40 and up to 60 or more years. Um, so that basically ended the long time plan to build housing on that site. And uh, so the fire could build their practice facility there. The whole deal was concocted behind closed doors. Um, the city council approved zoning needed to complete the deal. They never technically voted on the deal itself because they never saw it, um, but they gave it their blessing anyway. So the whole thing sailed through. We talked about all that. And really the last effort to try to block this land that had been set aside for, for affordable housing, to block the turnover of this land to the fire for their practice facility was when a group of activists, residents, housing advocates filed a lawsuit in federal court earlier this year and said, um, in their view, the process of putting the deal together had bypassed federal civil rights and fair housing laws, and therefore it should be stopped. Mm -hmm. And so they filed this case. It lingered, wrote about one of the hearings they had a few weeks ago where the judge appeared sympathetic to their case and said, you know, CHA federal government, maybe you guys should do the civil rights review that these advocates are asking for. What's the harm in doing it? Um, I'd really prefer you guys talked and try to work out a settlement. Well, from what I understand, the CHA and HUD didn't want to talk and didn't want to reach a settlement. So they asked the judge to dismiss the case. And uh, Judge Durkin did. He granted their motion to dismiss the case on the grounds that um, the advocates don't have standing to stop the deal. And that's a legal term, Ben. Uh, basically, what it means is the judge said, you can't show that you were individually directly harmed by this deal in any way. In order to sue for damages or to sue, um, you know, in a civil case to stop something like this, you would have to show that you were hurt by it yourself. And he determined that they could not show that that was the case. And so even if the CHA has not fulfilled its promises to build housing there in the past, which the judge acknowledged, he said, sorry, that's not good enough. You don't have standing, case dismissed. So I agree with you. Um, the advocates have said they're exploring other strategies, but it's hard to see there's any way they can stop this thing from going forward. And, and it looks like construction has started over on that site on the near west side. Yeah, it, it underscores a central uh, point that's um, 
can't be repeated enough, uh, particularly in regards to Chicago. Uh, it's really hard <laughs> to stop City Hall. You know what I mean? To fight the powers that be in this thing. And uh, it was similar. I mean, there were fights over uh, the Obama Center in Jackson Park. Uh, ultimately, uh, the people who were wanted to keep the land free of the development lost. And and uh, that thing's going up uh, as we speak. It's almost completed. Uh, and this is a similar thing. This is the city tends to regard, regard this is me speaking, not make them be. The city tends to regard vacant land uh, that's parkland or vacant land that's promised for uh, low-income housing as just vacant land, which can be sold off to developers or, to, or that can be built on. Uh, that's been, I, I can think of so many battles. The Children's Museum in Grand Park, um, what's his name? The Lucas Museum uh, on the lakefront. And uh, that's kind of a reality uh, of the way development goes uh, in the city of Chicago. And I'll just point out, um, it's so interesting that when it comes to building housing for Venezuelan migrants, the city is absolutely helpless and no trouble uh, building a soccer field for uh, the fire. But I guess where there's a will, there's a way. Anyway, good reporting, Mick, on that. Uh, no standing uh, is uh, the call. And so tough luck, uh, low-income residents of Chicago. All right. Uh, Let's try to end uh, the conversation on a happier note, even though uh, <laughs> happier note. Yeah. <laughs> well, I 20, mean, you call 20 point loss a happier and an opening your note. Not only uh, a 20 point loss. Laughing. Yeah. Yeah. 20, not only a 20 point loss, but 25 years of utter misery uh, since Michael Jeffrey Jordan was run out of town, basically. Uh, Cause well, let's not review that one. Um, all right, so the Bulls looked horrible last night, Mick. Uh, they were a joke. The Sun-Times headline, whoever it is at the Sun-Times sports page, give yourself a raise. Uh, so it was opening night last night when the Bulls played the Thunder, uh, and the headline is opening blight. Uh, Thunder slap Bulls with blowout loss in frustrating season opener, and then after the game, the players were bickering and then among themselves, and so they asked the coaches to leave the rock locker room, and they were going to have a heart-to-heart, which probably fell along the lines of, I can't wait to get off of this damn team and out of this city. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I talked you in. I didn't, well, you decided, you're a grown man, to buy season tickets. I am, I am. I accept responsibility. <laughs> Someone that we talk about in this conversation needs to be held account, held, needs to be accountable and uh, responsible and honest. And yes, I entered willingly into this season ticket <laughs> partnership with you and and other friends and, and suckers. Uh, yeah, yeah in. So there's four other people. Uh, I will not name their names other than to say one is named Udawak, the other named Dixon, the other named Joshua, and who am I forgetting? Oh, Ivan and that one, and Norm. I, but I'm not naming their names. Um, so do you have regrets? Do you have a second thought? You haven't gone to a game yet. I got the opening night game. Uh, and I explained the complex formula that we use to uh, allocate tickets. Do you have any regrets for having invested your hard-earned block club money? Uh, into a Bulls season <laughs> tickets. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I uh, listen. I um, when you put it that way, Ben. I uh, all these dizzying stories I'm telling about having to deal with FOIA requests and city <laughs> public information officers and people not responding to me. That's how I earn my my uh, my money, and and then to put it down on this Bulls team that shoots <laughs> nine for a hundred or whatever it was last night from three point land, man, it's rough. Um, no, listen, I do not regret it. I love basketball. Um, I won't claim that I am the diehard bulls fan. Uh, certainly not for the length of time that you have been. Um, as you know, I'll, I'll admit that after being, you know, of course, way in on the Jordan years, I took a little, I, I was up and down for quite a while. And then, I don't know, the last few years, um, I've really gotten back into it again. And uh, so I was happy uh, that you were going in on season tickets and that you were looking for another investor slash sucker. <laughs> so I, uh, I I plunked my money down um, electronically. I didn't have to find it in another location. That's Anybody? right, electronically. Uh, it was all done electronically. <laughs> um, no, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm psyched for the season still. I... 
I don't think they're going to be very good, especially looking at the competition, but they're going to have moments. And I look at the NBA. Um, obviously the games are more fun when they're close and when your team is, is winning or at least in the games, but I watch the NBA just for the extraordinary talent and the athleticism and the drama of, uh, the, the sport and the season as a whole. Um, you know, also a baseball fan, I'm still following the playoffs. My teams aren't in it. It's just, if you like sports, you like sports. And so that's the main thing. It's just, it's like a fun thing to, to do. So we don't have to talk about the middle East and we don't have to talk about this other stuff all the time. We're all, we're deeply concerned about real issues, but like, it's fun to lament our opening night loss. Um, I wish we were celebrating a win instead, but it's a loss and we're laughing about it. We're having a good time. That's why we, that's why we're fans. And that's why I tuned in and and why I joined uh, in. Well, and ultimately, yeah, well put. And ultimately the point is it really doesn't matter. Uh, And like, doesn't have, but no matter how passionately you talk about it, uh, do you subscribe to the theory of, of my source that I won't identify other than to say his name is Moise Bawani, uh, that they should completely blow up the team, trade Zach, trade DeMar, trade Vooch, fire Billy Donovan, fire the general manager, and also force the Reinsdorfs to sell the team. He's got a whole plan, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, obviously, they can't fire the owner, but do you uh, agree with Moise? I mean, uh, the source that I will not identify, uh, uh, that they should just blow up the Bulls team and tank. Well, I will agree with Moise in uh, two to three months if um, things do not look at least average. Um, Even if they look average, I think they're going to have to have some tough discussions because what's the goal? Like, is your goal just to sneak into the playoffs or you know, sneak into the play-in tournament as they have now? Like, is that really as high as the bar should go? Um, it just looks like, like last night was discouraging, not just because they lost, because Oklahoma City is building a team another way. They've got young talent that they've invested in. And that young talent looked like not only more promising for the future, but they looked a lot better last night yeah. um, than, than the Bulls collection of of veterans and not quite newbies anymore um so not there quite yet ben but i think the time will fast approach where if you're really talking about winning you're gonna have to say you got to do something other than this and you know you and i have had this conversation off and on for several years now about zach levine in particular um I remember us discussing, debating, as I think we both flip-flopped a couple times during the discussion about whether Zach should have gotten the long-term max contract. And for you people who are not sports nerds, like, should they have doubled down and tried to build a team around this player, Zach Levine, who's an extraordinary talent, but yet has never shown that he can lead a winning team. And that's not all his fault, but like, you know, it's the truth of the matter. Um, and once again, last night, it's not all on his shoulders. He's got a lot of teammates, but he had a pretty mediocre game, like bad game, right? There were several key moments where he needed to hit a big shot and turn things around and he never got it together. And it's just one game, but it's like, you know, if the strategy is to build around this player, it's not looking real good right now. Now the, the, the fear you and I have both had and expressed differently at different times is that they will get rid of Zach and then he'll go be a superstar for for somebody else, you know? So yeah, no, that you can uh, see that coming. You see that coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we all know that's going to happen. Uh, he'll, and he'll probably end up in Miami <laughs> with Jimmy Butler, the guy they traded to get Zach Levine in the first place, and they'll suddenly they'll win a championship, uh, and they'll be saying something along the lines of "Thank God we're both out of Chicago," uh, which is a question. Literally, I remember Jimmy Butler being asked by some uh, sports reporter. Uh, TV personality, I should say, after a, a win in a playoffs, aren't you glad that you're out of Chicago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the rest of us have to live here. Uh, oh, so we don't have your uh, luxury. Uh, but, but, and Butler. All right, Mick. Uh, the, the 
cake was well worth the wait. Uh, and uh, yes, I too uh, do not regret buying the tickets, uh, even though it was dreadful. Actually, the game was entertaining until they got to the fourth quarter. And then it was like, wow, I'm watching Oklahoma hit their threes and I'm watching uh, the Bulls go clank, clunk, cuckoo, yeah. you know, uh, with the shots rimming out. Well, they but took more have... threes. That was one of their goals, yeah. take more threes. They took them. They did yeah. not hit them, yeah. uh, okay. which is the other part of the goal. So, so don't forget that, Bulls. There's the making the baskets uh, in addition to taking. I know. I realize you can't make until you take, but you have to make. Okay, guys? Uh, let's uh, <laughs> rally around the coach uh, and move on with Toronto's game on Friday. All right, awesome. Mick. Uh, I, this is my favorite part of every conversation with a journalist. Uh, where I watch uh, the journalist duck and dodge as I ask, so what big uh, projects are you working and you and the investigative staff working on now uh, at Block Club, Mick? Well, I will tell you um, in broad terms, working on um, another CHA story. Um, I'm working on another housing story related to our uh, migrants and asylum seekers. And... um, have a teammate working on uh, some more stories about the CTA. Um, so I think we broadcast probably that we're at Black Club, we're interested in all those subjects and have reported on them already. And so I'm not spilling any deep, dark company secrets by saying we're continuing to report on those things, but hopefully you'll see something uh, on all those fronts soon. All right, you're more forthcoming than, let's say, Greg Pratt, who, when I asked that question at one point, uh, alluded to a story he, he had wrote. He wrote it like three weeks before. And then when we were off I did the air, that later that afternoon, I saw a breaking story. He wouldn't even tell me the breaking story that was about to break. You know, <laughs> the story broke before the podcast dropped. But he, Ben, you should read this article I wrote a month ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I understand the impulse. Reporters, especially when you've been working on something for a long time, you don't really want to talk very much about it because you feel like it will curse it in some way. Either someone else will scoop you, get to it first, or something will happen that kind of like screws up what you've been working on in some way. So I understand the instinct. I, I understand the instinct too, but reporters, I'm telling you, that instinct is as obsolete in this day and age as a bureaucrat at city hall telling Mick Dumkey, uh, the documents you want are in another building. <laughs> nobody cares if you get scooped. Okay. Nobody, nobody is paying attention whatsoever to who got the story first and nobody else is going to instantly write a story based on what you, well, I'm working on a story in the CTA me quick, get me rewrite. We got to come up with a story. In the C- I know, I know exactly. Okay, Your point's it. well made. <laughs> Stored in another location, wholly or in part. Yeah. <laughs> Stored in another location. All right, very good, uh, Mick Dumkey. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. It's always a blast uh, talking to you, and uh, good luck with uh, whatever you got. What other FOIA fights you have out there with the city? Come on, Mayor Johnson, you're better than that. Let's get it together. Yes, and yeah. go Bulls. We'll talk soon, Ben. Very good. That's Mick Dumkey. I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. And I think Mick Dumkey and Billy Bob in the budget department agree. Uh, hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows. Get Benny J bonus interviews. Check out columns from Ben Jarofsky. Sign up for the Reader newsletter. All that and more at ChicagoReader.com. If you want to follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram, it's at Benny J Show. And please like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on all your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.